I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me for a time of study in the Word and turn in it to Romans chapter 12. I have to make a confession this morning. Maybe some of you don't realize this about pastoral ministry, but Christmas time and Easter time, while joyous moments in the life of us as believers is sometimes the hardest time for a pastor. Not because of the message, or I should say the seasonal part of it, the joy of all of that, but because each and every year that we come to the holidays, whether it be Easter or whether it be Christmas, the reality is that the message of Christmas is the same. It's always the same. By God's design, it's the same, and it always must be the same because it's about our Savior Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's what, in our minds at least, or at least my mind as a pastor, makes it so difficult. Not because Jesus Christ is difficult, but because we are so familiar with it. And if you're like me and you've been a pastor for many, many years, particularly with people that you preach to every week, you want their ears to be open. You want them to hear it fresh, to hear it new, to hear it as if they've never heard it before. And oftentimes that's a difficulty for us because we're so familiar with it. And so I want to take this morning and I want to go to a part of Scripture that we don't normally go to during Christmas. And I want to talk about giving gifts, but giving gifts to God, not to one another. This time of year is always wonderful as we come together and we, we sing some of the songs that have such great theology in them in reference to Christmas and the holiday and the advent of the birth of Jesus Christ. And those songs, far too often, I think, in our Christian calendar, if you will, get pushed aside and the rest of the year we really don't sing them when maybe we ought to because by way of tradition they are labeled as Christmas songs. But when we let the words of those songs really melt down, if you will, into our own hearts to think about the wonder of what took place according to God's plan and design for His glory, surely those words ought to cause our hearts to really shout with praise to how wonderful our Lord is. And I hope that you sense that same reality as we even gather together as a church family, now, not just on any other Lord's Day that ought to be in our minds, but particularly on this day, we are united by the truth of God concerning His Son. This is why we gather United by the joy of the salvation that we have been given through Jesus Christ. And if you boil it all down, really that is the gift of Christmas, is it not? I mean, that's what we focus on in this time of year. That's sometimes what makes it difficult because we are so familiar with that reality that we forget the impact of it. 
In fact, the Bible tells us that the greatest gift ever given was from God to mankind. It wasn't any other gift. It was Jesus Christ, and we know the story well. We can read about all those details of how God spoke through the angel to tell Mary that she would have a son, and that he would be, in fact, that the Savior of the world. That was incredible news to humanity. That great happening was prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever took place. In fact, many of the Old Testament prophets alluded to the promise of the coming Messiah, not just like we read this morning, Isaiah. But Isaiah 6, we had it on our screen before our service was starting, says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It's really remarkable that God would give us the name of his Messiah, And his name encompasses everything we need. We need the wisdom of God. And so Isaiah tells us that he's the wonderful counselor. We need for God's wisdom. No need for the wisdom of men. Man does not have lasting wisdom. In Christ we have the wisdom of God. We need the power of God. And He is, as Isaiah says, mighty God. In Christ, we have the mighty power of God with us. We need the immortality of God. And Isaiah tells us that He is called Emmanuel, God with us. Eternal Father. In Christ, we have the immortality of God. And we need peace with God. And He is the Prince of Peace. In Christ, all who believe are no longer enemies of God. The Bible tells us that our sin has made us enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 says that Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for righteous people. He died for ungodly people. In fact, God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 48, verse 22, there is no peace for the wicked. So without Christ, all people are known in the eyes of God as wicked. That's who we are. Without Christ, without the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. So God gave gave a gift. And that's why Christ said in John 16, just before he died, my peace I give to you. God gave to us, and in this time of year, we think of that. We think of gifts. In fact, we may be focusing on gift giving, even in our minds this morning, which in and of itself is really a way of giving thanks, is it not? Giving gifts to others, giving gifts to one another, that's a way of giving thanks. The Bible tells us that 
It is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20, verse 35. But when we focus on gift giving, it isn't without some meaning involved. There is meaning to what we do and why we do it, because gift giving has no real meaning if the gifts that we give, even the trinkets that we might buy, whatever they may be, they have no meaning. They truly mean nothing if they are not given out of an understanding and knowledge of the greatest gift ever given. Christmas for the world, really, who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ at all and wants him to have nothing to do with Christmas holiday is a meaningless Christmas. It's just another form of idolatry. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I, I don't think I need to stand before us this morning and remind any of us in this room that Christmas is really nothing without Christ. We know that. And so for many of us, when we think of Christmas as the time when God gave to humanity the gift of His Son, and that surely is true, and we certainly praise God for that with our loudest of voices. We can never lose focus of that. But this morning, I, I just want to kind of have us think a little differently about Christmas, maybe than we've done in the past. Uh, I want us to ponder the gift, but not so much the gift that God gave to us, but rather our gift to God because of His gift to us. God has given us a precious gift, of course, in Jesus Christ. There can be, nor is there, any more precious a gift than the Savior Jesus Christ. He is our peace with God, but what is reasonable for us to give back to God? I'm not a very good gift giver. Not a very good gift buyer. My wife will attest to that. I'll stipulate that in front of everybody. I'm just not clever enough. I'm not, I'm not like that in my own heart. I probably should try a lot harder with that. But I think we get a glimpse of what our gift to God is to be here in Romans chapter 12. Because this isn't the first time, obviously, we've ever looked at this. We studied through the entire book of Romans in the past. But, but listen to what the Apostle Paul says in just the first couple verses of Romans chapter 12. Be reminded this morning of this in your own heart. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I believe this is a, a, a very important, if not an extremely important passage for us to look at, particularly on this day, to think through at this time of year, because of that very fact. It has everything to do with a gift. Our minds are acutely focused on gift giving. Tomorrow, we, if we haven't already, even this day, given gifts to people, we will get gifts from people, even our own family, and there will be 
a lot of gift giving going on. And so this has everything to do with that kind of idea. It's not a gift from God to us, although it is based upon a gift from God to us. But rather, this is our gift to God as really a a living, a transformed thank you, if you will. A, a, A living thank you note because of God's gift to us. And I don't think we normally think of giving in that way. We, we think of gifts as, as something given to someone, and once we give the gift, that's it. The transaction's over. We, we've given the gift. It's, it's, there's no necessity for anything else. We don't normally expect anything from the other person in return. And yet, here's the gift of God the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, peace with God, given to us, and yet it comes with certain implications. It isn't just a static reality. It comes with consequences, if you will, for our lives. And one of those implications, one of those consequences, if we could even say it that way, is our giving back to God. God gave to us in light of our need for a Savior, He gave to us. We needed that. And He granted us the faith to believe, and because of that, we give back to God out of a heart of worship to our Savior. Look at what Paul is saying. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. When you look at the original language, it, it could be stated this way. Therefore, I am earnestly and continually asking you, brethren, as the reasonable worship of you and on the basis of his motivating mercy for you to give back to him. Now, that's the intent of Paul's words here. Paul is saying that God's gift in our life, salvation by Faith in Jesus Christ is not some static reality in our life that sits on the shelf and you pull it off when you need it like you might if you have a a fire in your home and you go get your fire insurance or your, your life insurance policy when you pass away. No, the gift of Christmas, Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have through Christ, ought to have a profound impact upon our life. And that impact is an each and every day reality. It is a moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year reality. It is not I have it today and it's gone tomorrow, or I'll use it today and I won't use it tomorrow. The impact is every day and within each and every relationship that we have in each and every day. In other words, the reception of God's gift of life for us through Jesus Christ and all that it is concerning the undeserved mercy that we have upon our life ought to be the motivation for us to give back to God the gift of an undiluted worship.
In fact, Paul says, I'm urging you. That's that's the word where we get, I'm, I'm coming alongside you. Uh, it's like the, the Holy Spirit. It's the same root word there in the original. I, I'm, I'm coming alongside you. I want to encourage you. And, and, and then he says, I want you to, to give back. That word give back really put yourself at someone's disposal. That's what he's saying. I'm continually, earnestly asking you, brethren, on the basis of that motivating mercy that God has given to you, I want you to give back. I want you to to put yourself at someone else's disposal. Whose disposal? At God's disposal. I want you to live your life. I want you to carry out your life in such a way that it is at God's disposal, not yours. Look at what he says. Present your bodies. Present your bodies. In other words, your very selves. All of your life, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all of your desires, whatever is running through your mind and and those things that from one day to a next and one moment to a next may cause you in your own heart and mind to find some difficulty, some struggle, some stretch for you to deal with. Whatever it is, allow that to be God's. Yourself. All your makeup. Who you are. Whatever your dreams are, relinquish those to God. Have them, but hold them with open hands. Whatever your aspirations are, now those aspirations are God's. You're relinquishing them to Him, your gifts, whatever gifts God has given you by way of your personality and your spiritual gifting. That is now God's. It's a gift to God, your life, your time. Ooh, there's one. Wait a minute, Pastor, that's a little close to my kitchen. Don't turn that kind of heat up. Don't step on my air hose. I'm under the water about three feet. I can't breathe. You step on that air. My time? Yes, God owns your time. God owns your time, your possessions, your reputation. Anything we might hold near and dear to us, The Apostle Paul says, because of the mercy of God shown to you through Jesus Christ, this relationship you have with this gift He has given to you, because of that, anything you might hold near and dear, offer it back to God for His total use and His total, get this, removal if He sees fit to remove it. This is part of our gift to God. We offer... Our living selves. You notice the the wording he uses here? A living sacrifice. What? That's kind of oxymoronic. A living sacrifice? Sacrifices die. Sacrifices die. Yeah, Paul says, listen, Christ already died for you. Now you offer yourselves as the one who's living out what this worship ought to be in you because of that. We offer God not only ourselves, but we offer it to Him wholly. You see that? 
Offer your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You can't just be dead. You can't just be immovable. You can't do nothing. That's what corpses do. They do nothing. And it must be holy. Holy. Sometimes I think we get surprised by that kind of language when we read it in scriptures. Paul telling us as Christians, those who are really in earthly sense, in the temporal sense, unholy by God's standard, we are to offer back to God our holy sacrifices, ourselves holy to God. How do I do that? God says, Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. How do I do that? Well, I I believe we get the answer of how we can do that when we look at verse 2. And we put it into practice. Right? Someone who is a dead sacrifice, they're not putting anything into practice. And they're certainly not holy. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That says something about all of us as God's people. We oftentimes and most often have a thought problem. Our thinking is wrong. And yet here we are to be holy in our sacrifice before the Lord, holy in our lives and ourselves. And, and, and we know what holiness means, I believe. Right? Holiness, we, we've looked at it here in this church over time as we've studied through the Scriptures. We've been taught about it here. Holiness means separateness or separated. A part, of, not, not a part of something that is defiled. It, it could really mean the idea of purity in every sense of the word. Being undefiled by that which is impure. In fact, I was sharing with my wife this morning, I was reading just in some devotional reading for myself in the book of Revelation, and it struck me interesting in Revelation chapter 9, that the very essence of the world, even during the worst part of the tribulation, has the characteristics of being impure. Verse 20 and 21 of Revelation chapter 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, of course, that's the trumpet blast in the seals. They did not repent of their works of their hands so as to worship, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. There was no repentance in their heart, no worship towards God at all, even though they know this is the work of God. And this struck me, and they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries, by the way, the word there, the original word is pharmakia, which means drugs, pharmacy. So they love their murders, they love their drugs, 
They didn't repent of their immorality, that's porneia, sexual sin in every kind of way, nor their thefts. That just sounds like the world today. Killing each other, drugged up to no end, immoral in every way, and stealing things from one another. And yet here we are as Christians, we are to present ourselves before God in totally the opposite way, as one who is holy. That is exactly what Paul is telling us to apply in our lives as a gift back to God. You're to be holy. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, put yourself by way of practice, by way of thought, put yourself totally at the disposal of God for his use by being totally separated from all that is ungodly. You say, how do I do that? I live in a world that's ungodly. How do I do that? Well, here's how we do it. We do that first by not allowing the world to conform or mold or shape us. He says, do not be conformed to this world. He's not talking about the globe. He's talking about its system, its thought process, its philosophies. How does the world try to shape us? It tries to shape us by ungodly thinking. By how it processes life. By how it processes doing one thing or another. By how it processes relationship. By how it processes how I should carry out my life with my neighbors and with my friends. It's ungodly thinking. Ungodly ideologies. Ungodly philosophies. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul told the believers in Colossae when he said, you need to see to it that no one takes you captive. That means the Christian life is an active reality whereby we are looking around, we are discerning, we are finding out, and we are evaluating all that's trying to mold me. Paul says, make sure you don't let it take you captive according to the philosophies of men. Don't be taken captive by the things of mankind and their principles and their way they think. Don't let the foolish philosophies of the world's Christmas creep into your Christmas. When you and I think like the world thinks, when we follow after the plans and purposes of the world, when you and I as Christians accept the thinking of the unsaved, it is in those moments, it is in those minutes, those hours, sometimes those days and weeks, that we are being shaped by the mold of the world. We are being compressed into its conformity. Not because it has more power than we have. No, we have the power that lives within us. We have the power of God. We have the mighty God. And yet, we, we allow ourselves to be sucked into that because we like it. Our flesh loves it. 
and it's, it's more comfortable for our flesh and we don't want to fight the battle and so we, we allow ourselves and we compromise in ways we should not compromise. And it all begins right here in our thinking. and How we process and how we look at things. And in those moments we are being conformed to the ways of the world and so Paul exhorts us who believe upon Jesus Christ, don't be conformed. God has shown you a great mercy. He has given you the gift of His Son. You have believed upon His Son because of His mercy upon you and therefore present your body as one that's living, a living sacrifice offered to God, a holy sacrifice offered to God. And the first way you do that is to not ensure, to ensure that you're not being conformed to the world. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Transformed. Metamorphous. Be metamorphosized. Be changed. Be completely different. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Some of us struggle with life because our mind is so frenetic with the things of the world. We have embraced so much of the worldly thinking in our mind and processing that we need to have our mind changed, our mind renewed, and the place to have it renewed is right here in the Word of God. Let me say it the easiest way I think I can. The only reasonable gift that we can give back to God is the gift of a life that is being completely transformed through being continuously saturated with the very mind of God. When your mind is saturated with the thoughts and thinking of God, then your thoughts will be His thoughts. When your mind is saturated with the Word of God and you're not conformed to the thinking of the world but transformed by the renewing of your mind, your actions will be His actions. Proverbs clearly tells us out of the heart flows the springs of life. The heart being the center of our our thinking, who we are, not the pumping organ in our body. When we have the mind of God, we begin to live as God would have us live. And when people see us, they see the very character of our Heavenly Father reflected in us. So think about it. The very consequence, the very implication of God's gift for Christmas is that those whom He has chosen will buy the gift of faith Embrace Christ as Savior, but not simply so that they can remain where they were before salvation, so that they can go, okay, I got my fire insurance now, I I can get into heaven, let me just try to get through this world any way I can. No, they have to apply the mind of Christ, that is the Word of God, which is the transforming power of God in our lives, so that now we live our lives as a return gift of deserved worship to God. This is what God deserves from us. You see, that's the meaning of Christmas. It isn't simply that God gave. That's wonderful. That's, that's 
astonishingly miraculous. But in light of that, there is an implication. The implication is the gift of our lives as a gift of worship to Him. We ourselves, body, soul, mind at His disposal. Survey your, survey your last year. We're coming up on the time when, when we like to think about these kind of odd things that the world throws our way and New Year's resolutions, how we're going to be different in the new year, which lasts about 30 seconds into the new year. Think about your previous year. Have you been at the disposal of God? Your mind? Are you holding on to your aspirations and dreams and gifts and all that God has given you with an open hand? Saying, God, listen, you've given to this me some mercy. You've shown me such great mercy. I just want to live for you. See, as we're saturated by the Word of God, we begin to think as God thinks. We have the mind of Christ. It's right here for us. We have the Spirit in us. When we think as God thinks, we begin to act as God would act. And it is then that we prove that's what he says, that, that you may prove what, is the, what the will of God is. Prove just means checked out by testing it. Checked out by testing it. God's, God's not afraid of us testing him. He's not afraid of us saying, okay, I'm going to check this out, see if it's right. Go ahead. That's just go ahead. Live by my word. Saturate yourself in my word. Do exactly what I say, and you'll prove. It'll be proven what my will is. You'll know what it is. You'll know that it's good. You'll know that it's acceptable. You know that it's perfect. That's the full meaning of Christmas. God's gift to us. God's gift to us so that we could begin to do what we were created to do. What were we created to do? Well, back in the garden, we were created in Adam and we were created to offer ourselves back to God in unabandoned worship. That's what we were created to do. That's what makes Christmas so special. That's why Christ's death, that's why the Burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ need to be remembered at this time as well, right? We, we think about those at Easter, and yet Christ was born so that he might die. Without Christ, we cannot truly worship God as he has created us to worship. We know why, because our sin gets in the way. Our sin marred God's design. And yet through Christ, through Christ, God makes it well again. One day we're going to continually worship Him with unmarred perfection. 
But we can start doing that now as we offer ourselves to God as that living and holy sacrifice. So Romans 12 reminds us that we are a gift to God. God gave us a gift, and He saved us, and we are a gift back to God. Not that we earn something from God, but only because of the mercy of God shown to us through His Savior. The gift of the Prince of Peace. And in through Christ, we have true peace. But without Christ, only enmity, eternal hell, eternal death, no peace, no hope. I hope that strikes you a little different this year. I hope this year, as you've heard Christmas message after Christmas message after Christmas message after Christmas message, that you think a little differently about what God has done. Because God has died for the helpless, the ungodly. Paul said in Romans 5, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the mercy of God. And so we offer back to God ourselves. Say, Lord, however you want to be, however you want to use me, go ahead. That's the gift of Christmas. I pray that's your gift this year. I pray that's how you give back to God. Let's pray together. Father, certainly we could probably say a whole lot more. No more needs to be said. The divine mercy has granted to us everything we need for life and for godliness. In Christ, before you, we are holy, not by practice, but by position. And yet in Christ, we can be holy in practice. We can do what you have asked. We can live the way you say. And when we fail, we run to you. We run to you because in you is forgiveness. That you see us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And while you are our Father, you love us. And so you cause us to endure patiently through chastening and difficulty and sometimes just because you know what we need most. And so Lord, I pray that our lives this year would be just that, an act of thanksgiving to you in every way so that we would have our minds renewed by the saturation in your word. That the thoughts of the world, the thoughts of life, the little things that we struggle with would be challenged. Challenged not because of our own wisdom, but because what your word says. It is true. It is right. It is absolute. 
everything else is foolishness that doesn't line up with the truth of your word. And so help us to stand there, to live in that place, to not be shaped and molded by the philosophies of men, worldly ways, worldly thinking. The Lord, help us to be shaped by your word, transformed in our mind. And be honored through that. For all we want to do is give to you what you deserve. All to your glory, no matter what it means for us. We know that one day we will be with you in glory. And so if that means hardship now, so be it. Difficulty now, so be it. For you have given us so much. Thank you for that. We praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.